The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Our reading today is taken from Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. If you're following along in the Bibles under your seat, it's page 32, and it's also up on the screen for you. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my sins and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh and it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the reading of the word. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. Uh, God, I thank you for the fact that uh, we get a chance to come here. And uh, I don't know if, I don't know if we even know what we come to a sermon expecting or hoping for, uh, but uh, I, I ask that you would visit us this morning. And I ask that you would visit me this morning. God, I need to hear from you. I need to be encouraged. I need to be challenged. I need to be convicted. God, I need your power to live this life that you've called me to live. And I need your reassurance that you're with me. And I imagine that each person here in their own way are in the, have those same needs and desires below all the other desires and needs that we are thinking about. I pray that you would clear the mist away this morning and to help us to hear from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Kate hates when I use the, this special term that I love to use, but it's, it's the term felt mortification. Uh, it, it goes back to like, how many of you guys grew up in church? Anybody grew up in church? Anybody went to Sunday school classes? Anybody remember those felt boards that you had? Anybody, had? anybody old enough to remember felt boards? Yes. And so the teacher, your teacher would have like the, the felt board and had the characters on there. And like the, it was like, it felt like cute Bible stories, right? But if you re- really read the Bible, a lot of the stories they had on those cute little felt boards are actually pretty crazy outlandish stories. Like we, we decorate our kids with Noah's Ark, but think about it. That, I mean, we're celebrating, in, I mean, it's in the Bible, but we're celebrating the fact that there was one boat and it, God 
Like everybody else on the face of the earth died, right? I mean, it was a, we're celebrating judgment upon the face of the earth. And, and that boat itself that is like cute with the little giraffes and it's all like on the wall, like that would have been a stinky, nasty boat to be on. We celebrate like David and Goliath, like because he had the five little stones he took and one little stone went in the swing and the sling, the sling went round and round. Anybody know that song? And then the giant came tumbling down, but we don't sing about the fact that then David ran up, grabbed the giant sword and cut his head off. The Bible is full of guts and gore and sex and incest. Like, it's a pretty serious book. And, like, I learned about, I mean, also, like, a part that you learn about is in Exodus. You learn about the plagues, which is what we're in now, Exodus 7 through 10, the first nine plagues. But it's some pretty intense stuff that happens. I mean, the beginning is kind of like, you know, a, okay, the, the water turned red, it turned to blood, or looked like blood, or whatever was going on there. But, you know, after that, it gets, it gets pretty nasty, pretty bad. Some bad stuff that rolls out after that. And so we left with a question like, what do we do with this stuff? All right, let's, let's look through the, we're not gonna, uh, you can rest assured, I'm not gonna take us all the way through uh, Exodus 7 through 10, but let's just look at the 10 plagues and what happened. All right, first of all, so, so here we have in the story, here's, here's what's going on when we get here. Uh, let's frame it real fast. So uh, uh, you guys, you know, I'm really good at framing things fast. Uh, you don't have to laugh. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, threw myself off on that one. Or you threw me off. So, so Moses has come back to Israel uh, from meeting God on the mountain, and he's, uh, he's nervous about it, and he has Aaron to go with him to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he goes and does that, and it doesn't go very well. Pharaoh says, oh, you guys must have a lot of time on your hands to come to me, a lot of gall to come to me and tell me to let, you, let your people go. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to keep on making bricks, which is what they've been doing for no pay, and you're going to do it uh, without straw. And uh, so Moses is, uh, didn't, doesn't go well with Pharaoh. Uh, Moses' meeting with his own people afterward doesn't go well because they're like, you, we wish you had never come. It's, things have actually gotten worse since you've come on here. And Moses is left like, God, what are, what are, you, what are you doing here? And so God tells him, you're gonna go back to Pharaoh and here's what you're gonna do. I'm serious this time. And uh, you're gonna tell him, let my people go or something bad is gonna happen. And 10 bad things happen. Well, nine bad things and one really catastrophic, terrible thing happens. And we're gonna be hitting that back up after Advent. So, you know, stay tuned to that. Uh, the first thing that happened is uh, Moses appears before Pharaoh and he tells him, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, I'm not even gonna pay attention to you. And then uh, Aaron dips his staff in the Nile and the Nile, which is the lifeblood of Egypt. I mean, all of Egypt just it, it, it all, that, that was not only the backbone of Egypt, it was the lifeblood of Egypt. And all of a sudden, the water in the Nile turns to blood. Or, oh, excuse me, uh, that's gross. It turns like, it turned, pretend that didn't happen. It turns like blood, one of those two. And it kills the fish. Can you imagine the lifeblood of Egypt, they get their water from there, they get their, uh, their, their irrigation from there, they get their food from, from the Nile. All of a sudden, it is a deadly source. The second thing that happened, and these are kind of weird things, is then all of a sudden, like, frogs appear everywhere. They come out of the Nile, and the frogs go hopping around, and they're everywhere, and they start getting people's houses and their beds, and it even says they jump in their ovens, which is like a, a bad day for that frog, I would imagine. And then... And then the frogs die. So what we think might have been happening here, and we don't know this, but it's possible that uh, 
if it wasn't actual blood, and we don't know, if it wasn't actual blood that the Nile turned into, because the, the wording there is kind of, it's hard to tell whether the Bible is, whether it's a metaphor or it's actually literal at this point, but it's one or the other. Either way, the water turns red. It could be from a heavy rains that happened up in Ethiopia. There was a lot of red uh, kind of clay, kind of uh, dirt up there. Uh, at a normally high flood level back in the Blue Nile, you guys can write this stuff down, which is the, where the flood stage of the Nile comes from, that floods down, brings the soot and possibly bacteria. Have you guys ever heard like the red bacteria that comes up on the, some beaches sometimes and kills all the fish and animals and you can't go swimming in it? Um, it came down possibly, killed all the killed all the uh, fish, the frogs who are now like trying to get out of Dodge because this Nile is like not as hospitable anymore, they start hopping everywhere and they have possibly contracted a form of anthrax. That's interesting, huh? You can write that down. A possibly contracted a form of anthrax. They die. Bad times, it's like all stinky, smelly. And then that attracts possibly the third plague, which was gnats or uh, or a mosquito, some sort of pestilent uh, irritant. You guys ever like been outside uh, recently? You've been outside recently after we had those, those high rains and they're just everywhere, right? I mean, the mosquitoes and gnats are just like flying all over. Can you imagine if they were absolutely everywhere, like swarms and swarms of them and possibly, but we don't really know, but possibly they were attracted by all the dying carcasses of frogs laying all over the place. All gnats and mosquitoes flying all everywhere. Uh, they go to, before each of these, Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And each time, Pharaoh kind of changes his tactics. After the first time, he didn't even listen. The second time, he says, all right, if you take the frogs away, I'll let you go. Uh, the frogs die, they go away, they go back to him. And he says, yeah, I'm not gonna let you go. And then the gnats come or the mosquitoes and he refuses to listen to him. And then um, and the next thing that happens are Aaron and Moses say, hey, let our people go or else. And he says, yeah, I'm not listening to you either. One morning they appear before him and then all of a sudden there's flies, swarms of flies everywhere all around. Now we think that possibly, possibly, we don't know how all this happened, possibly those flies were carriers. Uh, there's a certain kind of fly and I'm not gonna... I don't know the Latin name, and I'm not gonna share it with you if I did. There's a certain kind of fly that carries another form of anthrax, and they possibly could have bitten all the livestock, and then that's where we see the fifth plague happen is the livestock all over Egypt, by the Nile at least, they all die. But interestingly enough, not the Israelites' livestock. Then they go back to Pharaoh. He refuses still. They go out to Pharaoh and they uh, say, let my people go again. God says, let my people go. And then he says, no, I'm not gonna listen to you. And then boils start to break out over people. We think that possibly could have been related to the flies as well, which is kind of interesting. It's possible. We don't know how all this happened. We're gonna get there in a minute. Stick with me. The seventh uh, plague is a big giant hailstorm that comes uh, or hell storms, flashes of lightning and thunder. If, if your Bible says, uh, if it talks about like it's, uh, like if you've seen the, the old movie where it's like it's raining hail, uh, like fiery hail, that's probably not exactly what the Bible is trying to say here. It's like a thunder, an intense thunder and lightning storm with intense hail that is uh, destroying a lot of the crops over 
is over uh, Egypt by, I feel like, I feel like Jonathan doing my papers today. I don't usually carry papers. You guys notice that, how he does this? And then the, they go back to, to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh, Pharaoh still says, I'm not gonna let your people go. They come back to Pharaoh and says, hey, God is really, really serious. Let the people go or more bad stuff is gonna happen to you. And he says, all right, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, I'll let the guys go, but not the ladies and kids. You lead them here. You, you can let them go. You guys can go sacrifice to your God, but I'm not gonna let everybody go. And they said, no deal. And then a swarm of locusts come in and eat the crops in, in Egypt. He's refusing still. And then the ninth plague that happens, they come to him and say, let our people go. And all of a sudden, uh, he, he says, I'll let, you, I'll let your people go, but not your animals. You can't take your animals, which is a big deal for them because that's the, that's the riches of the people at the time is the livestock that they own. And he says, they say, no go, everybody has to go or it's no deal. And then there's three days of pitch black darkness that it says is a darkness that you can feel. Uh, there are some, just if you are keeping track of this, there are a special kind of sandstorm that occurs in this area of the world that uh, actually can last for several days, and it does blot out the sun. It's a darkness, and you feel like a darkness that you can feel because it's sandstorm everywhere, and possibly from uh, all the leftover uh, soot, that, uh, not soot, uh, silt that would have come down the Nile River at the high flood stage, possibly. So that's where we are. Now notice Pharaoh's response to the different signs and plagues. At first, they, he come, they, Moses and Aaron come to him, and Pharaoh responds in mocking disbelief. Yeah, what do I have to worry about, you guys? You guys are a couple of stupid slaves, quite frankly, and you come in demanding I let you go, why would I even listen to that? In fact, in the first few uh, uh, plagues that occur, his priests copy, at least to some scale, the signs that, that occur. So he says, hey, that's no big deal. My, my little magician, it's just, you have a little magic trick. It's pretty impressive, but my magicians can do the same thing. So I'm not all that impressed. And then, as each plague occurs, Pharaoh and his people, they, they, occur, they, they encounter suffering. And the first few are just, they're kind of like, they're, 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 really, uh, they're really bothersome, but they're not like, they're, they're more like irritant. And each level, it gets more and more serious. Each, each plague gets more and more serious. But they suffer and so then he calls Moses and Aaron in and says, hey, I'm really sorry about it. I'm gonna let you guys go. Um, and they say, okay, that's great. And then whenever the frogs disappear, when the gnats disappear, when the flies disappear, when the livestock start to get better, he says, yeah, I'm not gonna let you go. I was just kidding about that. I'm not suffering anymore. I have temporary repentance. And then he has fresh obstinance. And look in that passage that Felicia read for us. Thanks, Felicia, this morning. Um, or actually, even before this passage, when he says, um, who is the Lord? Who, when they come to him and says, the Lord says, let his people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should even even listen to him? As the plagues occur, the Israelites grow in faith. 
And then even many Egyptians began to believe and fear God. By the ending of the, the plagues, you hear the Egyptians, the Egyptian people actually asking Pharaoh, hey, do what they, do what they said. Let the people go. It's, this is not going well for us. Just tr- put down your pride and let them go. The Israelites grew in faith. Many Egyptians began to believe and fear God. But yet Pharaoh saw it up and close, up close and personal, and he didn't believe. And that's because we see what we want to see. We see what we want to see. To see a sign, these are all signs, should be signs to Pharaoh, signs to the Egyptians, and signs to the Israelite that this God that he is dealing with is the one and only true God. He's the almighty creator God. He's in control of everything. It should be proving to them that that is true. And the Israelites see it and they believe. Some of the Egyptians see it and they begin to fear God. But Pharaoh sees it and he scoffs at it. Even whenever he suffers and it causes him to detour for a minute, he comes right back after the relief, after the relief comes. That's because we see what we want to see. And that's called self-delusion. There's certain news that we don't want to know, right? Uh, you ever like been on a, maybe an unhealthy kick of eating? And you know like, I know I've gained weight. I know I gotta start working out again. I know I gotta watch what I eat again. But I don't wanna step on, there's something about like you knowing that and you stepping on the scale and just seeing how far off you are. Or when you've been out of the gym for a bit and you know like I've been out long enough, like I know my endurance isn't there, I know I've lost all those muscles, but you just don't wanna, you don't want to encounter just how unhealthy or unfit you are. Or your, your, your finances are really rough and you don't wanna sign in or look at your checkbook to see how, just how bad it is. Like you, I know it's bad or the bills are coming in and you think if I don't open them, I just leave them over here. Like somehow it's the, the problem isn't quite as big as it is if I actually have to see it. That's called self-delusion. Because there's certain news that we don't wanna know. Because if we know it, then we know we'll have to change in response to it. And that's the situation that Pharaoh is in here. God keeps proving to him over and over again and even if he can say, like, all right, the first few are just parlor tricks, and I'm not gonna believe them. I'm kind of a skeptic, and so you gotta really try to prove yourself because his magicians can kind of copy each of those first few ones. Then when it gets bigger and bigger and his magicians can't copy it anymore, he still, because if he accepts the fact that this God, that Moses and Aaron are coming to him saying he is the one true creator God, he's the almighty God, who is God above all the false gods of Egypt, then Pharaoh knows that he's gonna have to adjust his life in response. And he doesn't wanna do that. And you and I don't wanna do that either. Because first of all, it challenged Pharaoh's idea that there are many gods. The Egyptian society was a polytheistic society. That means they had many different gods. They'd have a, in fact, we're gonna get to it, they would have like a god of the sun, it was one of the big gods, but also they have gods like God of, the god of the frogs or the god of the livestock or, you know, if we were in America, we have like the, 
the God of the iPad or the God of the iPhone, and we worship them every day, every, all throughout the day as we pull them out and stare at them. Or the God of sports where we build, and I love sports, but we build giant temples to our sports teams that'll last years and years and years. We pour money and time and attention into it and we worship it. We worship many gods. Because it challenged Pharaoh because if, if, it, if, if there were not many gods, if there was one true God who was over all, then that would change the fact that if there are many gods, you get to choose which one you pledge allegiance to. We get to choose the God that we're comfortable with to worship. And so some of us are comfortable with a sports guy because we're pretty good or maybe we're really lucky and we pull for the Florida Gators and so they're always really good. And so it's easy to worship gods like that or we're pretty fashionable or I, I have a pretty good eye for business so I can worship business or worship money or you're good looking so you can worship your looks every day when you look in the mirror and you, you know, do all the stuff that you do to keep yourself tip-top form. We get to pick whichever one we pledge allegiance to. But if there's one true God, we don't get to pick. If there are many gods, then no one's right or wrong until they cross my particular deity. And that's what is challenging Pharaoh. If there are many gods, then there's no one right or wrong until they cross my particular deity. And so that's why we see when people cross certain things that we worship, like we wonder, like we say, we call them our triggers when people say certain things to us that really set us off. Those triggers are usually connected to the God that we worship. That's why if you got everything at your home all perfect, you're one of those people. We're not one of those people, by the way. But if you're one of those people, your home is just perfect all the time. And the kids come in or somebody is gonna calls and they're gonna drop something by and the kids have made a mess and all of a sudden it just goes all over you and you take out all your frustration upon your kids or your husband or whatever because you can't stand somebody walking into your home and seeing it in a mess because you worship a God of perfectionism. We all have our gods that we worship. And then no one's right or wrong until they cross my particular deity. It challenged Pharaoh's idea that there were many gods and also challenged his idea that he was a god. You see, Pharaoh was told from a young age, from birth, that Pharaoh was a god. Can you imagine like, being told that all your life? really believing that you are a God and that what you say is more than just like as another human says, it carries with it a weight of deity. I think we think that about ourselves. I think all of American society is built around telling us that we're sort of many gods. What's right for you is what's right for you. And as long as it doesn't cross anybody else's path, it's okay. And our advertisements all are built around that idea that you and I are, it's ingrained in us from a very early age. You deserve this. You 
If Pharaoh was a God, then his thoughts, words, and needs were more valuable than anybody else's. I think we instinctively think that. My thoughts, words, and needs are more valuable than anybody else's. That speaks to our, our identity and worth. To see, if I'm gonna figure out who I am and uh, what my worth in life is, then I have, to, I have to do it comparatively to you guys, right? Let's just be honest. And so we size each other up all the time, saying, well, I'm not as good looking or strong as them, but I'm smarter than they are. Uh, they have more money than I do, but they're really wasteful. I'm really frugal with my money. We're always comparing each other so, so that I can feel like I have identity and worth and value because I have to somehow believe that my thoughts, words, and needs are more valuable than anybody else's. And so I have to make that work in my head. If Pharaoh was not a God, or if he was a God, then no one had a right to question him in his rule. That's why we see why, why he's just so angry with Moses and just dismisses him at first. Is when no one has a right to question his rule. He is autonomous. And you and I think the same thing, I think, a lot. We are autonomous creatures, and this is the American story, right? You're autonomous. The, we celebrate the self-made men and women who figure things out, who are smarter and cap more capable and are able to really make something of their lives. They're independent. No one can tell you what to do. And no one had a, question, a right to question him if he was a God. If he was a God, if Pharaoh was a God, then he could bargain with God when he was backed into a corner. And I think you and I do that too. When things happen in life that have us off kilter, we try to bargain with God. And that's a form of rebellion. If he is the one true God, then we don't have a right to bargain with him. I, I, uh, I hope I'm a pretty good boss. There are certain things when you say like, hey, I need you to do this. When they try to bargain back with me, they're not respecting me as the boss, and things aren't gonna go well. And when we try to bargain with God, that's called rebellion, and things aren't gonna go well. Some people try to explain away the phenomenon of the plagues. That's what Pharaoh was doing in his own mind for most of this. Because they were, until this last plague, and this is why I was telling you this earlier, things that could be completely explained. They were completely natural under certain conditions, there were times where the Nile might turn red. There were times where the, there might be a lot of frogs or there might be an infestation of bugs or the cows might get sick or you might, everybody get, might get boils or all these different things. There might be a sandstorm that lasts a few days. And so each time something happens where God is trying to get our attention and trying to point out to us that we are not the center of the universe, that we are not autonomous creatures, Every time he's, he does things, he oftentimes in us creates a sense of suffering and uncomfortability that causes us to stop. All right, I gotta, I gotta get my life right. I gotta, I gotta go to church. I gotta uh, try to stop doing this stuff. I gotta try to read my Bible more, whatever the thing is. And then when the relief comes, all of a sudden, yeah, nah, I don't want any of that anymore. That's because we see what we wanna see. And that's called self-delusion. 
God brings things that will grab our, te- our attention. He will bring a crisis. But then, once the relief comes, all of a sudden it's easily explained away in our mind. Because we see what we want to see. And that's called self-delusion. Beauty, they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but a sign is in the eye of the beholder as well. Pharaoh saw these things, and they were irritants that were soon relieved until the last one. The Israelites saw it and saw the hand of God, and some Egyptians saw it and saw the hand of God. And when they listened to to the warning from Moses and Aaron, their livestock were delivered as well. A number number of people think that the type of plagues or signs that God uses here is significant. Think about it. If if God had wanted his people released immediately, he could have done some cool stuff, right? Like Moses has a a magic staff, basically, right? I mean, he could do lots of cool stuff with it. I mean, he and Aaron could have walked in with their staffs and just said, all right, let the people go now. He's like, nah, not gonna listen to you. And like, Oh yeah? And like pointed at one of his servants and just like a laser beam shot from heaven and vaporized that guy up. They could have, God could have done it so that Pharaoh's like, yeah, I don't really care about him anyway. And they point at somebody else and say, boom, bada, boom, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and like that guy turned into stone. And they keep moving closer and closer to Pharaoh until all of a sudden Pharaoh's like, all right, you take your people and get out of here. They could have done some really cool stuff that wouldn't have been explainable except any other way. But a lot of people think it's significant that he chose natural means or somewhat natural means to showcase his glory to his people and to Pharaoh. Because one thing it shows, it shows that it's bigger than Moses and Aaron and even bigger than the Israelites Another thing that it shows, because it wasn't Moses doing these tricks, it was things that only God could do that was bigger than them. It also shows that when we go our own way, when we are in rebellion against God, it's a breaking down of the natural order. You see, when God came in and uh, caused these plagues to occur, that caused these signs to happen, he, doesn't, he didn't come in and usurp nature. He had set up the natural order back in Genesis 1 and 2. And when we sin against God, that broke, and when we continue to sin against God, that breaks the natural created order. And there are built-in natural signs and judgments that are in response to that. It's not, we look at these plagues and we think of them as miracles and they are. They are very miraculous. The fact that they occurred and the way that they occurred, the fact that they occurred that Moses and Aaron knew about it before they did it and the way that God would even set it in motion. They throw up the, you know, the, they stick the rod in the water, they throw up the ashes into the air and all the stuff that happens from there. Well, they were certainly Supernatural. But it wasn't God coming in and 
changing the order of things. We're the ones that change the order of things whenever we sin against him. A sign showcases to us, or it should showcase to us, the supremacy of God. God is in control. And no matter how you and I get deluded and think that you and I are in control, no matter how we take burdens upon ourselves and think that it relies upon us, he is the one that's in control. He's the one that's above all. And the signs should be wake-up calls to us just as they should have been to Pharaoh that he is in control and we are not. But then a sign also displays the judgment of God. Each of these uh, plagues corresponds to a God that was a fake or false God in the Egyptian society. I have it somewhere in here. Look at this. Look at this. Uh, there was a God called, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing these correctly because I did not look at the pronunciation, so just stick with me. There were the, the gods, Hapi. Uh, he was the bull god. He was also the god of the Nile. There was Isis, who was the goddess of the Nile. Uh, Kunum, who was the ram god, who was the guardian of the Nile. And there were others. Uh, that's so God, in turning the Nile to blood, he was saying, I am greater and, and, and the real God above those false gods. There was actually a God, I told you before, Hecate, who was the God of the frogs, a goddess of birth with a frog head. Uh, whenever the uh, sand turns into the, uh, into, into the insects, there was Set, the God of the desert. So God's saying, I'm more powerful than them. There's uh, two gods, uh, Ray and a god, boy, this could sound wrong if I say it, Uachit, who possibly represented the fly. So when you have the flies and they block out the sun. Then you have the Hathors, the goddess of the cow head. Apis, the, the bull god, is a symbol of, of fertility. The, when you see the death of the livestock, there was a goddess of power over disease. When you see the response to the boils, there was a god uh, or a goddess and God of crops and fertility, when we see the hail that destroys, there was Set, who was also the goddess of the storms. There was the sky goddess. There was a god of crops and fertility, when we see the locusts. There was the sun god, um, several suns god, the sky goddess, when we see the darkness that, blotted, that gets blotted out. And then the last one, when we see that we're not going to be covering yet, it was men, the god, is, the god of reproduction, and the, several other goddesses who were god of the firstborn children and children at large. We see that the plagues increase in rank and severity. It may not seem right in our society for us to judge someone for worshiping whatever they want to, but here's the question. Would it be fair to let someone continue to believe the world was flat or that gravity didn't exist? I mean, think about it. If, somebody, if you knew somebody who really thought for some reason that gravity didn't exist, and so they were gonna climb up to the top of the school and jump off the building, you would want to educate that person for their good, that gravity does actually exist, and it's not gonna go well for them just because they don't believe in it when they jump off the building. So when God steps in and displays his judgment upon us for our, our rebellion against him, he's doing good for us. 
not ill for us. Because if you're worshiping and building your life around a false god or goddess, the ending is going to be really bad for you. The signs that we see happen here in Exodus 7 through 10 aren't the breaking in of the supernatural into the natural. They're the natural breaking down because of our finding our identity and worth apart from God from our pretending that we're autonomous and from our rebellion against him in his ways. Because don't we know intuitively that this world wasn't made, this created order wasn't made to break down like it does? When we are suffering in our bodies or we have loved ones who are sick and diseased and there's issues going on, don't we know like that's not the way it should be? when we see the relationships that are broken and seem to be beyond repair, when we see that uh, when a, a man and a woman like, love each other very much and they begin a, a family together and then things go south and the family is split apart or we see friendships that are broken, don't, don't we know intuitively that that's not the way it was meant to be? When you look at our economy and we see like, no matter what economic system we see on the face of the earth, we see that uh, those who are powerful take advantage of the weak don't we know like that is not the way the economy is supposed to work? When we look around in our environment and we see storms that destroy people, we see the actual environment around us breaking down, doesn't that, doesn't that tell us, don't we know intuitively that's not the way it should be? It's the natural breaking down of the created order because we have gone our own way against God. God's rule and his laws, that's what's natural. And the consequences that come are utterly natural. When we go our own, when we go our own way, there's not a laser beam that comes from heaven that shoots us down and vaporizes us. The results are utterly natural and utterly disastrous. In closing, we see how the Egyptians and Pharaoh responded to the plagues or the signs. How should we respond? Number one, it should redirect our focus. When you and I go our own ways and we have the natural consequences that result of that, or when God is using circumstances around us to get our attention and to wake us up to the direction that we're going, when we encounter those things, it should redirect our focus. It should conquer our pride. We see the pride in Pharaoh. He should at some point have admitted like, God, you are God and I am not and bowed his knee to him. It would have gone much better for him at the end. It should redirect our focus, it should conquer our pride. And it will eventually break a hard neck, which is how we see Pharaoh described in the Bible as having, as being hard necked. He won't turn his head. He will he'll only stay the direction that he's focusing in. It will, the circumstances, the built in judgment for our sin and rebellion will eventually break a hard neck we will all either be crushed or broken. 
Matthew 21, 44, Jesus said, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We'll either be broken when we see the result of our sin and our rebellion against God and we're undone before him and we repent before him or we'll be crushed by the utterly natural consequences of our sin. We want to be broken by Jesus because he was the one who was crushed for us. We want to be broken by Jesus because he was the one who was crushed for us. He was the one who bore on his body himself the ultimate and terrible consequences of our rebellion against him. And we see that, when we see that great love and grace in Christ towards us, it should cause us to live lives of brokenness, just being undone at the love and grace that he's shown to us by taking what we deserved. I'm gonna pray and Jamin and Van's gonna come up and he's gonna play a little for about a minute for us as we just take some time to prepare our hearts for communion. I invite you to just take some time and pray and whether you're here, if you're a believer in Christ or you're not, if you're not a believer in Christ, I urge you this morning to take the warning seriously and bow your knee to him, accept his sacrifice on your behalf and confess him as Lord of your life, that you are no longer autonomous. And if you're a believer in Christ today, I invite us all just to take a, an inventory of our heart and see the, maybe what has God been doing in our lives to try to get our attention of the direction, wrong directions that we're taking in our hearts and lives. And let him, as we come before the, the bread, the juice, we dip it in the cup and take it. Let that, um, let that be the point that we say, thank you for forgiving us of those sins, confessing that to him and accepting his grace and mercy towards us and his power to help us change. Father, we do ask for your power to help us change. Each person here, whether they're a believer in Christ or not, uh, we ask that those who are not would find uh, conviction, they would find peace and rest in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we pray that us as believers, we would feast deeply of that grace and mercy to us, that we would find forgiveness and your broken body and shed blood for us, and that we would find uh, power to change our lives there as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
as I was reading through the story, I just for a moment kind of sat and thought, we look at it as kind of a historical Sunday school story, right? Can you imagine being an Israelite? Can you imagine your neighbor's firstborn, firstborn child dying on the 10th plague? Can you imagine waking up and your children having boils all over their body? Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a Christian living through those 10 plagues? I would have wondered at least, God, what are you doing? Where are you? How much longer? What is this? And there are times that each of us have or will go through very similar troubled waters. And David in Psalm 110 paints a, a, a picture, a, a scene of when Christ Jesus is raised from the dead and he walks back into heaven for the first time. And, and it, it shows that uh, the angels erupted with celebration that the champion of heaven was back to sit on the throne and to rule and to reign over everything. And so as Christians... There is no evil, there is no injustice, there is no difficult circumstance that we should fear because there is nothing outside of the watchful eye of Christ. And whether we're like the Israelites or or not, now or in the future, we can take heart that Daniel chapter 2 says that he sets up kings and takes them down. He determines the seasons in which they should rule. As Christians, we have a great hope. And that is that our Savior is an active ruler. That he is a king that sits actively on the throne, ruling on our behalf. And communion, Christ instructed the apostles to do it often. And when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we can remember that if we are found in the Lord that if we know him and are known by him, that there is no news, good or bad, that we should worry. There is no evil or hardship that should unseat our confidence that Christ will hold us, that he will keep us in the same way that he did his people in Israel. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, with every evil that we see, TV, in the lives of our neighbors, and even in our own lives. Satan tempts us to despair. We're tempted to believe that you are not in control, that you are not good. But you are good, and you are in control, and you're protective, watchful gaze is always upon us. And this morning, would you remind our hearts that there is nowhere we can go, nothing that we can do that can ever separate us from that loving gaze that you have set upon us through your Son, Christ Jesus.
you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.